Maybe you could look back at your week and look at this past Wednesday, and maybe you remember in the evening of this past Wednesday that it looked like everybody had a strobe light flashing from the houses throughout the skies. There was so much lightning going on on Wednesday night. Maybe you saw it. And then in the evening, it just like downpoured in different parts of Oshkosh and the areas of Wisconsin. And in my time here in Oshkosh, being the Newman Center chaplain, almost every time it rains, somebody calls the next day and said, did the basement at the Newman Center flood? And by the grace of God, no, it has not. But yesterday, I received a phone call from one of my students who comes to the Newman Center, and she said our basement flooded for like the fifth time in the past few years. And clearly, the sump pump isn't working. There's a problem there, right? And when it comes to problems, we've had many problems at the Newman Center this past year. It's been, the building has been there for 13 years. It's right across from the library on campus. And one problem we had was our sewage. I don't know whoever did the construction there, um, but one, for one thing that happened is when we flush the toilet, the sewage goes the wrong way. For 13 years, people thought that was okay. I am not okay with mediocrity. I never have been and I never will be. And I was like, we have to fix this problem. Luckily, Bishop said, yes, let's take care of the problem. So we had to do some research, and we found out that uh, one thing was the main sewage line was not pitched properly. So basically, you know what would go down the toilets, and it would just sit there, and eventually it would go the wrong way. Gross, nasty, I know. And then also, we found out that when the women would flush their toilets, we we took a video camera, and we found out it would actually go up into the men's piping, and, you know, gross, nasty, I know. But clearly there was a problem and there was a solution, so we had to jackhammer out our hallway, put a new sewage line in, put new piping in so it was done properly. And the truth is there was, there was a problem there. And I wonder for how many of us, when we come to Mass, do we come here with our problems, listening and begging and asking Jesus to solve our problems? Because clearly a lot of us, our life looks like that flooded basement. It's just full, and we keep trying to do the same thing over and over, and it's not working. We have more anxiety, more depression, more suicide, more loneliness. And then, for some of us, You know, we keep trying to just shove things down this pipe and it's not pitched properly and the Lord needs to go to work. And the truth of the problem is, is we're not going to Jesus with our problems and it's going the wrong way. And we literally feel it. We feel the anxiety. We feel the loneliness. We feel the, just the the lack of love. Now, I wonder for how many of us, if I came to you and told you the truth and it didn't make you feel good, how many of you would be okay with that? Or would you rather have me make you feel good but lie to you and not tell you the truth. We know that in Scripture, Scripture says that the truth will set you free. People come to Jesus with their problems. Last week, we heard about the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus took five fish and two loaves and multiplied it and fed 5,000 men, not including the women and the children. So no birth control, no abortion, no killing of babies like we do today. So they had theologians stop between 25 and 50,000 people that he fed but it says, like, right before that, the, the sick came to him for healing. The sick came to Jesus for healing. And our world clearly is sick. We've never seen higher addiction rates to pornography. We've never seen higher addiction rates to opioids, to alcoholism. And we've never seen higher suicide rates. So people are clearly sick. And Jesus, first thing he does, he feeds them. He feeds them. But then there's still an ache in their heart for more. 
And that ache in your heart and the ache in the heart of every single person here, including myself, it's for the truth. In the Catholic Church right now, in the month of August, as well as last week, we're going through the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. And this is where the rubber hits the road for us as Catholics, because this is the only reason why anybody would want to be Catholic, because of the Eucharist. The truth is, is that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist. Every single Mass, you get to receive him. His body, blood, soul, and divinity. And that's meant to come into your wounds, into your brokenness. And if we don't, it goes the wrong way. If we don't, we feel overwhelmed, being flooded, right? What is the truth today? What's the answer to the problems of everybody in the gospel today? Because they come to Jesus, they just ate. He fed like 50,000 people, roughly. And, they, and they're still hungry for more. They're still in ache. They're not satisfied. And they say, what can we do to accomplish the works of God? And Jesus says, this is the work of God. This is the truth. That you believe in the one whom he sent. Jesus is the one. He is the only solution to all of your problems. And when you and I don't turn to Jesus, what happens is it backs up and it goes the wrong way. And if you are living that way, how is that going for you? Do you just want to feel good and be lied to your whole life? Or do you want to know the truth, knowing that at times it's going to be uncomfortable? Would you love me if I told you lie after lie after lie, but you felt really good? Or would you love me if I told you the truth, even though it might hurt your feelings from time to time? You know, it would be the dumbest thing ever if, if a man who was a priest gave up marriage and children for a piece of bread that we pretend to be Jesus at Mass. Like, that is the dumbest thing you could ever think of. But if it truly is him, that sacrificial love makes us want to lay our lives down for that. And it's the only thing that will fill those voids in our lives, those fractures in our lives, right? And what, what brings this... The, the gospel to life is the lives of the saints. Your former pastor, Father Matt Seminar, he was with me for two years when I was in Anago. And one thing he always taught me was learn and study the lives of the saints. And one saint I want to introduce you to today, maybe you know him, his name is St. Ignatius of Loyola. And he was born in the 1500s when things were going crazy, right during the Reformation, when thousands and thousands, and if not millions of Catholics are leaving the church. He's born right in the middle of that. But he's a soldier. He, he's fought for, this, for the Spaniards, right? And at one point in his life, in his 20s, they were fighting the French. And Ignatius took a cannonball to his shin, and it shattered it. But he kept fighting. And when the French came and found him, they were just amazed that he was still willing to fight. He surrendered, and they, they the French took Ignatius by horseback, horseback and buggy to his home. Now you have to imagine the pain that he would have went through. There's no narcotics then. There's no ibuprofen. There's nothing to kill your pain for that journey. And they set his shin back, and he's bedridden for about nine months. But Ignatius is incredibly vain. Vain, or having vanity, means I am more concerned about what other people think about me than what God thinks about me. I'm sure nobody here, of course, struggles with that, right? 
So we, we, we look at his life, and he's so vain that actually his, his shin set with like a little nub on it or something like that. It didn't set properly. So he had a limp, and he didn't want to look imperfect. And it looked a little bit disgusting. He's so afraid of what other people thought because they wore like, you know, those pants to like your knees, and they had like tights on or something over that. And you could see this little nub. So he, he asked the doctors to re-break his shin. No pain. No gain? I don't know. This guy's crazy, right? So he's so vain he has that happen. But while this time he goes through this time of recovery and having weights pull his shin into alignment, he has a really holy woman in his life, his sister-in-law. And she gives him her only two books she owns, which is on the life of Christ and the life of the saints. And he doesn't really want to read them, but he's gone through all these other books, and he had such... An imagination. He always wanted to be the guy who was going to sweep the woman off her feet on the battlefield and bring her off into the sunset, and life would be happily ever after, right? He was living totally for the world, for the flesh. Not that anybody here would do that, right? And those saints are so, like, we can't relate to them, right? But then, he actually begrudgingly, almost like not even wanting to, began to read the lives of the saints and the life of Christ. And he noticed this one thing, and his life began to change. He noticed that when he meditated upon being worldly and, and, and you know, money and prestige and all the honor, it didn't last very long, and he actually felt depressed very quickly. But his life changed when he asked this question. He asked the question, what would happen if I became the next St. Francis of Assisi, or I did what St. Francis of Assisi did, or St. Dominic did. That, those were the big saints of his time. For us today, it's St. John Paul II or, or St. Teresa of Calcutta. What if you became the next St. Francis of Assisi, or the next St. John Paul II, or St. Teresa of Calcutta, or the next St. Dominic? And when he asked that question, his eyes were opened. And he almost didn't even notice it. But when he meditated upon being a saint and living for the kingdom of God, he noticed that the peace and the, the zeal lasted way longer. And once he healed, he went out to a place in Spain and he took three days to do an examination of conscience so he could do a general confession. A general confession is when you pray and you fast and you confess all of your sins from the first sin to your most current sin. And you confess it all. And while he was there, he also took a little pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and he began to walk in the footsteps of Christ, and he was just so moved at the personal love for Jesus. And it began to set his soul on fire. It began to give him a zeal for souls. And he was just so moved at the love of Jesus for him. I wonder how many of us have actually been moved by the love of Jesus for us personally. And if you have, it's probably flowing the right way in your life. And if not, it's probably going the wrong way. He went back to Spain. Ignatius went back to Spain, and he began to meditate. He spent like a year almost in a cave where he would just pray and meditate and go to Mass. He would pray morning prayer and evening prayer. But he came up with these meditations, and this is what I want us to focus on today, because I think sometimes we need things to be black and white. Sometimes our world's so gray, it's so fuzzy, and we don't know which way is up and which way is down. So Ignatius came up with this meditation called the Two Banners or the Two Standards. And the way the meditation goes is that each of you are going one way or the other in life. 
Either you and I are leading souls to hell or are leading souls to heaven. Either you and I are leading souls to hell or are leading souls to heaven. That's the truth. That's where we end up. You either end up and you choose hell or you choose heaven by the, by the banner you fight under. So the banner is, one banner is the Catholic Church. It's the angels. It's the saints. It's Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Blessed Mother, all of your ancestors who have handed the faith onto you or have helped you become Catholic. Or you're under the banner of the devil and all his minions and the world and the desires of the flesh and, you know, greed and all the sinfulness in our world. And each day, you and I fight under a banner. And it's just important that you and I just be brutally honest with which banner we are fighting under. There is no in-between but Jesus. He wants things to be black and white for us so we can know the truth. And the one thing about Ignatius was is that he needed good and holy friends to encourage him to fight under the banner of the Catholic Church, of the angels, of the saints, of God. He would go to Paris and he would study and he met a friend named Francis Xavier who was very worldly but eventually came under uh, Ignatius's wing and he helped him and, and Ignatius eventually founded a community called the Jesuits. But what sustained them, what fed them throughout all their trials, all their bickering because they're guys, you know how it goes, what sustained them was the Eucharist. It was the body and blood of Jesus. And that same Eucharist that fed them is going to be here in just a moment. And you and I need good and holy friends who can tell us you're fighting under the right banner or you're fighting under the wrong banner. Good and holy friends will tell you the truth. And the problem in our world today is no one wants to admit your plumbing's all jacked up. Your basement is flooding. And be like, oh, nope, I don't want to deal with that. But what is the golden rule? Treat others as you want to be treated. Did I want to go and help my friend and their family whose basement flooded for the fifth time? Absolutely not. But I hoped somebody would do the same for me, so I had to die to self and go. And same for you and I. There are times when we have to treat others as we want to be treated. And especially if we're receiving the body and blood of Jesus, how can we not have a deeper zeal for souls and tell people the truth? And I'm not seeing be a jerk when you do it. You want to be compassionate and you want to be prudent with your words. But we are all created for the truth. We are not always created for good feelings because our feelings come and go like the weather went on Wednesday night. Which banner are you fighting under every day? Which banner should you be fighting under? What if you became the next St. John Paul II or the next St. Teresa of Calcutta? Last thing I just want to focus on is something that Father Matt taught me, and it just changed my life when it came to doing what we're doing here. The mystics of our, of our faith, they, they see things that you and I don't see. We see walls and lights, and they see angels and saints and demons and all this stuff. They see the invisible reality that we profess in our faith and our creed. And one thing they say is that at Mass, they can see our guardian angels. When the bread and the wine are brought forward up onto this altar, our angels are bringing prayers, or they're supposed to be at least. 
And they said one of the most depressing things is that when so many people come to Mass, their angels, their guardian angels, come forward with nothing. And typically, anybody who's never thought about offering themselves and offering different prayers and petitions at Mass, they call the Mass boring. How in the world could receiving the body and blood of Jesus, the healing power of Jesus, the medicine of angels, be boring? Well, most likely it's because people have never taken the time to think about who and what they are offering at Mass. Because they don't have this. Silence. Our world is so noisy. So how was your week? Who did you encounter? Who or what is in desperate need of prayer? And will you load up your guardian angels at this Mass and place it all on the altar, all of your problems that are making things go the wrong way, and let Jesus take care of it, and do what Jesus told you to do. Believe that he is the one whom the Father sent to be your healing remedy. And then we should have an increase of zeal for souls to go out of here to tell people about Jesus, who loves you, who loves you, who loves you. And if you've experienced his love, especially in the Eucharist, there's got to be a fire burning in your belly. And if you don't have a fire burning in your belly, ask the Lord. Place that petition in the arms of your guardian angel and say, set my heart on fire. I'm fighting under the wrong banner. But if you and I don't have time and silence to load up our guardian angels, we can't do that. And there's no better time than right now. And I encourage you to read through John 6 this week. Spend time. Is it really you, Jesus? Are you really present in the Eucharist? Am I aware of that? But also take up that practice of loading up your guardian angel's arms every time you come to Mass. And I guarantee you that your life will change forever. And all of us are in need of change, but very rarely do we want transition because transition is difficult. Change is beautiful. So we take a moment of silence and we call to mind intentions. We think of the people we've encountered and we pray at Mass and we offer that. And pay attention to the words at the Eucharistic Liturgy. Listen to how beautiful they are and knowing that we're all called to pray this together. It's not just Father up there doing his own thing. This is a communal act. This is a familial act, an act of the family. And all of the angels and saints are here with us, including St. Ignatius Loyola and the patron saint of our diocese, St. Francis Xavier. And I guarantee they just want to pray for you and help you be set on fire and to know the truth of how deeply Jesus loves you and every other person out there who is struggling. And, and if you and I encounter that love, we sell out and we do crazy things, just like Ignatius gave his whole life. But it led him to deeper happiness and deeper peace and deeper confidence. So we are called to fight the good fight of faith. We take a moment of silence to load up our guardian angels with prayers so that when we stand and profess our faith, we are standing under the same creed, the same banner that all of the angels and saints have fought for, the martyrs have fought for, to be held high in this world that is looking for hope each day. Amen.